Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in St. Louis, Missouri, it's time for St. Louis Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to St. Louis Business Radio X. This is Doc's Discussions. You're here with Dr. Philip Hearn. And I've got a fantastic guest. So again, I get excited about all the guests. I love them all the same, right? It's kind of like trying to pick a favorite child. But there are certain guests that when you get them involved, you know that you're bringing a superstar to the table. So I'm here with a best-selling author, a business coach, a leader in branding and communication. This young woman has done quite a bit, and, and we actually have a little bit of bonding to do over one of the industries that we worked in together. Karina Hagen is our guest today. Karina, how are you? I'm good, Philip. Thank you for pronouncing my name right. Man, that was refreshing. Yes. <laughs> I, I try to do like research. I love the phonetic of spelling. I'm like, okay, let me not let me not butcher the name right out of the gate, right? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so happy to have you on Doc's Discussions. I always like to start off getting an opportunity for the listeners to understand more about your background, where have you come from? So tell your listeners how we got to the Karina of today. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So you you already introduced me. So people, I can talk about books and all of that stuff, but how I got there, my background is not a straight line to where I am right now, although I would like to argue all paths led to where I am today. <laughs> it's never a straight line, is it? Yeah. So a way of background, I have studied international business and intercultural studies. What does that mean? <laughs> intercultural studies is the studies of other cultures, uh, includes a lot of communication, language studies, all of it. Uh, at one point, I spoke a few words of Arabic. Um, I remember some, <laughs> I don't remember them all, but that was part of my my studies, uh, Spanish too. It's a shame how much I forgot. But long story short, so that's that's my, my educational background. And then right from there, I was launched into management consulting. And what a ride that is. And the learning curve couldn't be any more steep. It's great. I started right away in, actually, initially, I started in industries and services. So I worked with a range of different companies from, you know, automotive, like you're know, talking BMW and, and financial services and uh, manufacturing, digital rights management companies, you name it. So, so a range of different industries. And then within a, Within two years, year and a half, two years, I was sent on an expat contract to the U.S. and I started um, working within the strategy and innovation group and doing startup scouting, uh, scouting them for as acquisition targets for large organizations that we worked with, we were developing go-to-market strategies, uh, developing innovation projects or running innovation projects with corporate R&D departments, which is a ton of fun because you get to always be at the edge of innovation, always seeing the new stuff that's coming out, coming up with some innovative use cases, creating the business case around it, right? And so, so to me, I mean, it was really exciting. I would have never stopped doing what I did there because it, it was insane fun. But travel was not so much fun. And so I didn't want to do that forever. Uh, and I started joining one of my clients uh, and running their international or not running, initially not running it, uh, joining the international product portfolio group, um, doing international product rollouts, um, planning go-to-market strategies, 
little bit of what you have heard before, right? Uh, Go-to-market planning and then sales training. And then that segued me into becoming the head of sales enablement initially for the Americas and APAC. Again, also sales enablement is a lot of go-to-market planning, sales training, marketing. So all that is meshed together there. And I've done that uh, for, so some management consulting I've done for a good decade and another like, you know, five or six years of sales enablement. Um, then I've done enterprise transformation um, just for about a year. Uh, now, that wasn't too new for me. Uh, that's something I've done in my management consulting years uh, many, many times um, because a lot of these projects that uh, involve strategy and innovation are transformational. <laughs> um, so I've done that. And then in 2019, I have I had officially started my my consulting and coaching practice and didn't really kick it into gear until 2021. And here we are today. Um, and here, we are today. <laughs> here we are today. That's right. So with all of your background in not only transformation, sales, marketing, et cetera, you have that international flavor. Just for our listeners, I'm sure they can potentially pick up an accent. Where are you from? Yes, there's a slight accent. It's German. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. it's Deutsch. Yeah, it's, it's German. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So when did you come to the States more full-time? Because I know part of your background, you were working all over and traveling all over. So when did you make the States your home? How, tell us, take us through that process. How did that look? Okay. So I made the States my home in my heart, maybe. Um, in, 2000, <laughs> <laughs> in 2002, when I first came, so I did an internship um, in college last year, second, yeah, yeah, the last semester or second last semester in, in college in LA um, and then always wanted to come back, but it wasn't until 2005, 2006, excuse me, when I was sent as an expat and then decided I'm going to prove myself here, I'm going to stay. And I think it took until beginning of 2007 when I officially made the move um, and had a great consulting firm. I, I love them. They're, I mean, Datacon, they're, they're a boutique consulting firm within telecoms um, industry, telecoms and, and, and IT. And so they were sponsoring me. They were, they were great to me. We made an agreement that I would stay an additional two years. I stayed another seven. <laughs> Just <laughs> love working with them. Um, and yeah, so that, that was my journey. This is 2000, yeah, 2007 till, till now. Uh, the U.S. is my permanent home. Permanent home. Got it. Got it. But it started in 2002. So I wanted to kind of make sure that that was touched on. That's important. So I know one of our early bonding experiences actually is that we both worked in telecom. And for the folks who have worked in telecom, we can say that it's an interesting industry, right? Maybe interesting is a good word. Um, Take us through that journey and how that shaped who you became as a leader uh, as, as you push forward. Fascinating question. Oh my goodness. Ooh, I think it's a setup. It's a little bit of a setup. <laughs> hey, I just try to ask good questions to get out of the way. That's my only job here. So <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, it's a great question. I think you and I had that 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 you know chat about the ins and outs of the, the telecoms and IT industry. Look, telecoms is is a fairly intimate circle. Like you run into those people over and over again. Like they work for 
they work for BT now and for Orange later. And, you know, you, you just see the same names over and over again. Yeah. Um, the dynamics are interesting because telecoms and IT couldn't be any more different. And again, the consulting firm I, I work with covered both. And I've worked, I've, I've worked for big, you know, name brands, big Fortune 500 companies um, in, in IT and, you know, as a consultant and same in telecoms. And the difference couldn't be any bigger in, in terms of corporate culture and how innovation is approached. So uh, how has that shaped me? I can say this. Um, I think I've learned a good deal about paradigms, which led to the name of my company, by the way, Zeradime. Zara meaning meaning rising sun, like a, something's changing, like an epiphany. And paradigm, a shift, right? So it's, yeah. it's about paradigm shifts. And, and paradigms is really what I've learned <laughs> have such a strong influence on how you lead. Okay. And, and how, you, how you're being led and what you believe in. Uh, for example, uh, one thing early on that um, I was taught in, in consulting, and I think many people share that same experience, is a good consultant leaves, uh, arrives before the client and leaves after the client, <laughs> right? Okay. So client comes at 8 a.m., well, you're there at 7 a.m., right? Client leaves at 10, you leave at 11 or whatever, or 10, 10, 10. <laughs> right. Yeah. Make sure they clear out of the elevator first before you decide to leave. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's about it, right? Yeah. Then you have to ask yourself, what's the use of this? What, is the, what does the client really want? We have had one corporate client who questioned a lot of the things that consultants did um, and really woke me up to really question those paradigms. But, you know, mostly what I've learned is that I had one really phenomenal leader who took over in, I think, 2008, 2009. Um, she took over my group and um, she was a phenomenal leader because she broke all the paradigms and over-delivered. Well, that's, that's ideally what you want, right? right. Under-promise, over-deliver. And she did that in half the time. So, so there's this book, Twice the Work in Half the Time. And she is the living proof of that, I would say. <laughs> she would come in at 7 a.m. She would leave at usually 3, having all her stuff done, right? Uh, people would criticize her for leaving too early. Like, what kind of signal does it send? I'm thinking it sends a great signal. It sends a signal that you should question what you're working on if in 10 hours, you can achieve the same things. What have you done? Yeah. yeah. Right? Absolutely. And so talk about prioritization, setting boundaries, saying no to the right things and knowing what to say yes to. I mean, that woman really understood what it took to be successful. And then she focused on that. That's it. <laughs> yeah. The, the time in telecommunication almost fo focuses you on how to really prioritize time, right? And truthfully, how to be more efficient, because sometimes, and, and we've had our, our little war stories on the side, but some of those times, the efficiency was the thing that, that rang out where you're going, why are we not being more efficient? We've got all this technology, we get, we have to rush into the meeting for a 9 a.m. meeting to physically be in the office. And I've got two cell phones, a, a, you know, a hotspot, a laptop, a tablet, and yet I have to sit 12 feet from you to be efficient. So, yeah, I, I, I love 
the parallels of going, hey, how do you create those paradigm shifts and not just do stuff based on the time, right? I, I want people, it's the old Bill Gates saying, I want people who are almost lazy, or I think it may even see jobs. I want people who are lazy because they'll get it done faster. Oh, right? yes. Mm-hmm. That idea of, hey, we can be much more efficient is what the biggest takeaway is. So, so I, yeah, no, no setup. I had to ask about the telecom days because we, we've had our war stories about it. So I thought that was important for the viewers to understand part of your background. So digging into what you're doing now with Zeradime and really your focus on fractional. So everything now is kind of a buzzword when it comes to fractional. When you talk M&A space, when you talk expansion, consulting, everyone's a fractional. What does fractional mean to you? Because you've done it and you've done it successfully. So I think you bring a unique perspective to the concept of, hey, we're going to put in a fractional C-level, and in your case, a CMO. Doesn't even have to be C level. I think sometimes people really like harp on that so much and they don't realize when you, when you work for a company that is a, you know, medium sized business, they may not be in need of like C, like don't harp on that so much. Look at what the company actually is in need for, right? So fractional. So, so it's fractional C level. That's what they call it, right? And probably at a small organization, you'll be at that level. If you work for a large organization, you may be at a director or VP level. Could be because you're driving very fast change in a short amount of time, typically when you're in those positions or you fill a gap. But then again, to fill a gap, um, they usually don't hire a fractional to just fill a gap for six months or nine months. They find somebody else in the organization to say, hey, you you be the representative for people to go to, right? That's how it works. That's the interim manager, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't need Absolutely. a fractional for that. Fractionals typically are expected to deliver results in, you know, without being hired full-time because either the company can't afford it or doesn't have the ability to justify a full-time role or just needs the, the help right, right now. So there's an urgency that drives this. And so instead of harping so much on, you know, the level that you're at, I would focus more on the value you deliver. Um, it will, it will drive the respect you get and, and the level you're seen at and the authority that you will have behind you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that was explained well, just because again, people hear buzzwords, right? So it's, it's great to get those subject matter experts like you that can help people to understand, all right, when you hear this buzzword, here's what you're hearing versus kind of the reality sometimes, right? Because there's usually this gap or this gulf that you're really trying to go through. So I love it. That That's uh, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to add one more thing, right? So, yeah. so when, when people, so if somebody listening to the show wants to enter into fractional CMO, uh, CFO, what, what have you, right? You have to understand the after what comes after the fractional is just the specialty. What can you deliver? Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in entering into that and you want to help multiple companies with your, because in essence, it's, it's just changing the verbiage to say like, I am a consultant specializing in this area and I can lead in this area. That's why it's fractional CXO, right? Fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. So what problem can you help solve? Yeah. In a way, you have to specialize well and you have to understand what challenges a company wants to solve. 
And how are you helping an executive to solve this? Because that's typically who you will be working with. No, that's beautiful insight. And, and that makes complete sense. I think it's a little easier on the business card, though, if it says fractional CX. But now I'm teasing. So, but no, that's exactly it. You're there to solve for, it, it's the old math problems we all have had, I'm sure, a time or two in our lives. We're all here to solve for X, right? So the daily grind of, of the challenges that a business may face or the opportunities that the business may use for growth, you're really helping to solve for X as a fractional. Would that be a exactly. good way to think about it? Great equation. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I paid attention to math class. I wasn't always great when I start throwing letters, but I understood solving for X. So that was good. <laughs> so I'm going to come back to Zeradime a bit more because I want to dig into that. But part of your moniker is a best-selling author. Take us through the work, what you've written, the background of the work. I've got a chance to read some of it, so I'm biased, but I want to hear it from you as opposed to my viewers hearing it from me. So take us through how you came to becoming a best-selling author. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a loaded question. Um, I didn't how, how did I come to it? That's probably interesting. How did I come to actually write a book? I wanted to write books, but I would have never done it as quick as I did. And at the time that I did, because this is the first year I had invested in really building my business after founding it officially, right? On paper, like registering LLC, all that, uh, actually uh, working on my business. And I got approached by this publishing house. Um, and so what they what they do is BookBoon. BookBoon has this learning library and they work with big corporations, um, small and big, but, you know, name brand companies we all know. Um, and they have these learning libraries, including those books that, then become part of this whole experience for the the employee um, who can download the book and listen to the audio version or listen to you know I've I have some um, almost like podcasts they call them expert talks um, they're between ten minutes and an hour and I like to keep things short so I have tried to keep them within a ten minute frame because I believe executives are chronically short on time right. Right. And so, uh, so yeah, so they approached me and asked if I could write a book on virtual work. And given my extensive experience as a remote worker, I had back in 2008 decided I'm going full time remote at one point in my life. And by the end of 2009, I believe, I worked completely remotely. Granted, you know, as a consultant, you travel and are always committed to, you know, doing whatever it takes to connect with people and being in the office when we have workshops, traveling to the client, you know, uh, for meetings. So all that aside, but I was working and doing the, the chunk of my, my delivery work, so to speak, uh, remotely. So I have extensive experience in it. I've led global teams all from behind the screen. Yeah. Minus some travel. And so it brings some additional challenges. And, and so, yeah, they approached me on writing these books. And I thought, this is, this is great. I have a lot to say about this. Um, mm. Now, my intention for, right from the beginning was to develop leaders with solid leadership skills. And one of the things that stood out early on is that the leaders that feel, and again, like if your audience hears this and somebody feels offended, you know, please don't feel offended. Challenge me on it. It proved me wrong. But I dare say that the leaders that feel most challenged with remote work 
and that feel most inclined to micromanage or, or, or call for a return to office, everybody has to, uh, the leaders that are least equipped with the right tools to lead, with the fundamentals. Okay. If you know how to lead well, you can lead well in any environment. Now, I will say this, it is more strenuous. You have to take some extra steps and be more intentional when you lead remotely. The same goes for employees. They have to be more intentional in how they show up. You can't, you can't rely on people just seeing you in the office. There's less serendipity there, right? So you have to be very intentional about how you communicate, how you show up, even on a Zoom call, right? And, and also on the types of tools you are using to communicate and to collaborate. And so, um, so I welcome this opportunity to write a book about um, uh, virtual leadership. And so the first book is called High Performance Virtual Work, How Leaders Create Effective Virtual Workplaces. And it's a hybrid between, you know, how you lead well and breaking some of the, really, I'm, I'm aiming for the paradigms to be broken about what it takes to be remote. Um, and the second book then followed last year, um, Virtual Leadership Skills, what kind of skills do you actually need to lead well virtually? And communication is the number one, which is also my, you know, number one focus on all the leadership development I do. Um, and, and that's based on the learning that I had is that communications is the enabler of them all. Mm. You can be the greatest problem solver in the world. If you cannot communicate your ideas effectively, you slash your chances of success. That's it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. it it's fun. When you talk to people, number one, that that invite discourse, right? So as you mentioned, hey, if somebody can prove me wrong, let's have the conversation. So that's always a fun part too. Good banter. You learn a ton through good banter in, in my personal experiences. But I think that's important too, because I was going to ask you that question, those characteristics of what makes a good leader, let alone someone that is leading virtually. Because again, going through the things that we've recently gone through, now a pandemic, folks having to work uh, and break some of those paradigm norms, right? And making sure that they can work anywhere in the world, honestly and, and, and fully, and really having to have a strong enough leadership source, that's sometimes a missing component because again, most leaders aren't taught the methods to continue to grow as a leader. It's normally, hey, the leader is in one set of suites, we give our, our middle management and our, our frontline worker the training and the consistent training, but that opportunity for the leader to grow sometimes can get lost in the shuffle. So two fantastic books. We're going to also make sure that after uh, after this interview, you all have an opportunity to go directly to those links. So we're going to make sure that folks can take a look at that book because I think there's a ton of really good information. I've got a chance to read uh, the one of the books, the High Performance Virtual Workbook. So I've been digging into that right myself. So I got notes and I can call the author. So I'm in good shape. So that's huge. <laughs> that's great. So let's double back to Zeradyne for a bit. So you talk about really creating those, those shifts in business and how business is done. What types of clients do you and your team like to work with? I know you're not pinned into one specific set based on your experience and your team's experience and, and uh, successes. What does that ideal client look like? Mm-hmm. So are you talking on the business side? Are you talking individual leaders? Who do you like, to, who do you and your team like to work with in your organization? I, I'm going to, I'm opening it up to 
your thought? So I would say generally it's more characteristic. So I work with emerging leaders and, and typically, um, yeah, mid to large size corporations. Um, okay. So these are people who have high upward ambition. Okay. Um, and on the business side, I work predominantly with startup founders and uh, small business leaders um, talking like a million in, in revenue wanting to grow, right? Sometimes under, but that's, that's typical for the, for the small business, established small business leader who wants to grow. Um, and then on the startup side, that's a different, whole different uh, ball game. And all of these, all these three groups have one thing in common. It's realizing that, you know, in Marshall, and I'm quoting Marshall Goldsmith right now, there's a book that he wrote, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. You have to realize that in order to take it to that next level, you might have gotten all the ideas, all the talent, all the experience. There are things you haven't seen yet. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and interestingly, I, I watched a, a, a short, like a snippet from a TED talk from a doctor, actually, believe it or not. He got a coach and he, and create a very practical experience of what that's like. He said, look, um, I cannot justify lack of growth if I don't seek help from outside. And he said, I, I was always wondering why golfers, tennis players, right? Well, they all get coaches at all levels. Even the star players still have right. coaches to this day. Like, how is this? And so he said, oh, let me try it out. And he said it was so uncomfortable. So he didn't, he, he wasn't hiding the fact that coaching is at times uncomfortable. Um, but this coach stood in the operating room with him mm. and observed what he did. You know, when he like lifted his arm, he goes, well, when you do that, like you really lose your stability. And, and so he really improved his technique and, and he showed results. So, so, of course, like in the operating room, you don't want things to go wrong, yeah. but they do. And so he could reduce that number significantly through that coaching. So he could show the results, but he said it was, it was uncomfortable, but you have to be willing to go there, right? So having that kind of, and I'm sorry, it's such a loaded word, but having that mindset is important. Yeah. Right? If you don't go in there with that mindset that, that there's only gain from here, um, then there's little I can do for you or anybody for that matter. And, um, and I think I want to say one more thing. Um, information isn't transformation. And coaching is not teaching. It has teachable components and I will give my clients anything they, they ask me for. As long as I have it, I will give it. But teaching won't help them much. If it did, they could just take any other class, go to any other workshop, read my book and be transformed. Information isn't transformation, but coaching will help you to get that transformation. I think that's that's a great way to look at it because, and I just had this conversation with some uh, some business colleagues of mine in that coaching, consulting, and advising are three completely different things. And what's funny about that is we hear, again, kind of the buzzword vibes. We hear that so much and interchange so much between each other. And they're not the same thing. So I'm glad you said it that way, because I, I think that gives our listeners an opportunity to really understand coaching. Here's the why it's uncomfortable, right? Because you still have to do the work at the end of it, right? It's, it's like the best coaches in sports and managers and baseball. Like 
they're good coaches because they, they can't, they're not going out on the field and trying to hit the 95 mile an hour fastball. They are going and coaching you on what you have to look for when you hit the 95 mile an hour fastball, but you still have to go out and do it. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, you still have to dribble, right? And it's good that you make that distinction too for another reason, because you asked me who my clients are. And so Mm -hmm. if I work with a if I work with a a company, for example, a fractional CMO services are typically that's consulting, pure consulting, hardly ever is there any coaching in it. I may because I I of course I'm a coach. I know coaching methodology. If it suits me and I and I see a great fit, I may have a coachable moment. I may use that methodology to drive some awareness and and allow the person to come to a realization that they need to have. But it's typically consulting. And and people who work with me, they need to be aware what they're in for. Do you want me to do the song and dance, do the work for you, right? Teach you how to do it? Or would you like to experience personal growth and transformation? That's very different. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and your clients have to come in with a different mindset based on what they're requiring of you. So I think it's a two-way street, right? I talk a lot about being a willing or unwilling participant, right? So if you're a willing participant in this, this is a different mindset than, you know, bucket B, because you have to be either willing to do it or if you're unwilling, it's not going to be a good fit. So I think that's extremely key. That's huge. Yeah. So here's always a fun question to understand what goes on almost behind the scenes. You have a ton of passion. You bring a ton of, of expert capabilities and skill sets. What are the aspects of what you do day in and day out that you enjoy the most? Mm. that's interesting it's almost as if it's it has not too much to do with what i do in a coaching session i mean it's incredibly fulfilling right but the the moments that i look for that are that i uh that i thrive off of or like or live off of are the moments when people tell me that something hit them and they actually see the transformation right where you can see that i'll tell you that doesn't happen every day because you, you might have a six-month coaching agreement and it's it's not until four months in when actually something happens, right? That's not yeah. every coaching session that these things happen. There, there are some aha moments, but when the real light bulb, I mean, you and I know what we are talking about. When the real light bulb goes off and yeah. the real change happens, those are just, you know, the spot moments. Um, I love working on my business. I, I don't want to say I like being busy, but it's almost like the business is my my hobby because it's my passion. I like to think through ways how I can make it better. And um, maybe part of this was fueled through so many years of management consulting where I've worked in strategy and innovation. So you're always thinking at like, what's the next thing? How will this influence us, you know, years forward? And I do this for myself and for my clients where I go, okay, so if I work with an organization and they're headed a certain way and and I have an idea or I see trends going on. I mean, the market is moving at such an interesting rate right now. Um, then my mind gets uh, spinning and I love creating new things. Um, I love um, developing strategies and really seeing where that lands us and, and playing those scenarios through and challenging myself, right? My own assumptions and, and other people's assumptions. So I think this is, this is probably what I'm most passionate about. Yeah. I can appreciate, I think, out of everything you just said, 
the the aha for me, if you will, is that not every session is going to bring that aha. So what that tells me is you really have to enjoy a lot of times the journey because you're not going to get the home run or even the grand slam every single time. It's a lot of singles. It's a lot of doubles. There's building upon each other to where, like you said, it might be three to four months in out of a six month agreement. And there's the aha. So now we're working in a different headspace moving forward through months four through six. So I think that's an important piece because I know we have a society that is instant gratification in a lot of cases. So being either a person who is coaching or a person that's receiving coaching, you have to kind of be okay with, I got to enjoy the journey. The journey is not always going to be like you said at the very beginning. It's not always a straight line. There's some curves, there's some ups, downs, lefts, rights. So being okay with what that, that end journey turns out to be, I think is extremely important. So that was my aha. I love it. That's awesome. I love this. You know, there's something else in there because you also told me that that you're getting your coaching certification there. And so, yeah, yeah so, so we're speaking the same language there. Uh, again, to the distinction between consulting and coaching. Now in consulting, like you can lean back and say, you know, I gave you a six month deadline, deliver what I, what I ordered, right? <laughs> right. In coaching, you can't do that. You take an active part. And the, and the beginning question I always ask is how much time are you willing to invest? What sacrifices are you willing to make? Because do it, you have to make some sacrifices. Some things will, you have to say goodbye to you, do them differently than you did them before. Now, I won't force your hand, but like, I mean, if you're not willing to do anything different, why are we here? Right. And then how much time are you dedicating between two coaching sessions? Because that's where the, where the forward movement actually happens. And so for us to sit in a session, you know, like to your point, like what, you know, uh, what drives that excitement? Well, the excitement is usually not each single session, something will happen. It's mm -hmm. that I know there will be a reward if we stick to the process. It's incredibly rewarding when it's happening, but you have to develop a discipline and a commitment to sticking with that discipline and saying, okay, I'll go to the coaching sessions. Each time we'll work something out, I'll come to an agreement of what I will do with this insight and I carry it forward and I keep carrying it forward. And then we see the results, right? But so this short-term gratification that you're talking about and, and also being almost passive, like expecting that, you know, you put some money on the table, you show up once and something is happening. It's very, right. very passive engagement, right? To the sports analogy. I love that you gave that sports analogy. You still have to do the dribble. Yeah. <laughs> the boring dribble yeah. every day, round just, 400 times, 1,000 times, just dribble. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the repetition of it. So that's a part of the journey too, right? Major League Baseball players don't just walk in every day and go, okay, now I'm ready to hit for my four to five at-bats. They're <laughs> taking hours of batting practice. They're doing their fielding work. They're doing all of that prep work where it's a daily regimen almost. So I think that piece about the in-between calls is really where the secret sauce is made in terms of the coaching. So that's huge. Right. That's absolutely huge. So a little more of a fun question to kind of close us out. You're a person that sounds like they're on the go. They're always thinking about the next thing. They're working with the next client. They're trying to get the clients moving forward. They're looking ahead. What do you do to rest and recharge? And it's always interesting to understand what leaders are doing when people really don't see them, right? So they, they see you, they can go to LinkedIn and we'll, we'll get all the, the information where they can, they can find you and follow up with you. But what do you do when you're like, okay, I got to get away from work. I love work. It's a passion, but 
but how do you rest and recharge? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. A mix. So I'm, I am very active and depending on, you know, what my demand for rest calls for, sometimes rest looks like I'm, I'm doing a really hard strenuous workout and that's mm-hmm. just what I need in order to blow off steam perhaps. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. I go hiking. I'm, I'm, I'm an outdoor person. I just love spending lots of time outdoors, especially when the weather is, is fitting. Um, and so hiking, hiking is a great way to spend lots of time outdoors and get a workout in. Or, uh, and this is more recent. So, so in the past, I would, you know, I would stuff even my, my personal life with a lot of things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've stopped doing that. I love reading, but sometimes um, I will sit and contemplate. And I've learned this by watching a, a video that really had left a deep imprint on me. And it's an interview. It's years old. You can watch it. It's on YouTube. It's like a five-minute video, like busy is the new stupid or whatever they call it. Yeah. And it talks about, um, well, it's an interview with Warren Buffett and Bill Gates on how they manage time and how they prioritize. Yeah. Bill Gates talks about contemplation being so important. And it really caught my attention. I'm thinking, why is he talking about contemplation? You should, should have a strategy, a network, be with people, <laughs> figure things out, learn things. <laughs> yeah. And there's a time for this, but what do you do after you've done all the learning, all the doing? You have to let sit, things sit a little bit for creative thought to do something valuable, right? Where, where you know, the dots can connect in your brain. Because, yeah, you're sitting with yourself there, but contem- contemplation is incredibly important. So I'm focusing much more on doing that, not just for results, but because it also puts my mind more at rest. Otherwise, I have tons of things where I go, I had all these ideas. I don't even know what to do with them and when, right? And then you set yeah. time aside in your calendar and you, you pack it full. And I've learned that life is better with margin. And so sometimes not doing something deliberately is really good. All it's right. Really so good. you just made a t-shirt. I think life is better with margin. I life like that. Okay. I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to keep that one for myself. That's a good one. I like <laughs> it. But I, I, I do love that because I think the older we become, we start to figure out what works for us, right? So I think that's that's always, I ask every one of my guests that question because I've gotten all different answers, right? I've got folks who go to the theater. I've got folks who read a ton. I got folks who are like, when I'm done reading for a minute, I need to take a take a mental break. And like you said, go be active, go for a walk. So it's always interesting to understand how leaders stay as upbeat and as, and as passionate about their day-to-day on their off time. I think that's just as important as the work that you do uh, with your clients, with coaching, working as a best-selling author and a brand leader overall. So that's huge. So last question before we close it out, and I've so enjoyed the conversation as, as I knew that we would, how do our listeners connect and stay in contact with you? What are the best methods to reach out, keep in touch? How does that work? Sure. Yeah. I think the best way to reach out to me is connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you want to, if you want to email me personally, connect with me on LinkedIn, I'll send you my email. Absolutely uh, possible. But yeah, if you want to stay connected, that's, I think, a great way to reach out. If you want a soft connect and you don't want to talk to me directly, you just want to follow, you can also do that. I publish a, a monthly newsletter where I talk about leadership, uh, leadership communication, leadership transformation, building leadership skills. And so it's, it's light enough, right? Because it's only once a month that uh, it shouldn't overwhelm. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great way to connect. 
Awesome. And we'll make sure to share your, your LinkedIn um, uh, link with our viewers after this on our website and everything else. So that'll be perfect. So Karina Hagen, it has been a absolute pleasure to chat with you, to hear just about the, all the successes. Really appreciate the time and, and good luck with your, your upcoming endeavors. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. We'll have to do it again soon. So, well, it's been another great episode here on Docs Discussions. We are so glad again to have our guest Karina Hagen join us today. For Dr. Philip Hearn and the full St. Louis Business Radio X team, we'll see you again next time. Take care.